0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما يا أرحم الراحمين يا رب العالمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Alhamdulillah, this is part 2 of module 10. And what is module 10 about? You're reading from the slides. (laughs) Ihsan, very good. So, we mentioned in the previous two classes how everything fits together. Based on the hadith of Jibreel, alayhi salam in which he came to the Prophet wasallam and inquired about Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. And so we said that the Iman component is about our faith, our belief, our convictions, what we call Aqeedah. The Islam component is about the ritual worship and the transactions, the Ibadah and the Muamala. And that's the fiqh, right? Law, jurisprudence. The third component is what we're focusing on in module 10 and that is ihsan. Now the Prophet defined ihsan in that hadith because he said, Al-ihsanu an allaha tara lam takun tarahu It is that you worship Allah as though you see him. And if you do not see him, you know he sees you. And we mentioned that the scholars say that this definition of ihsan is actually talking about two different levels. So it's ihsan itself has two levels. The first part is the superior level, the higher level, when he says Anta'abulaha ka that you worship Allah as though you see him. And this is called the rank of mushahada, and this is the highest a person can reach. Then you have the level coming in the second phrase of that hadith. Uh, and if you do not see him, you know that he sees you. And that is the station of muraqaba, of vigilance and awareness, consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala watching over us. That's ihsan. So ihsan, although we say heart matters. A lot of the heart matters concern the things that we say and do. And that is because there is this reciprocal relationship between the actions and the statements of the of the body and the actions of the heart or the states of the heart. What you do and say affects your heart. And your heart, depending on the state of your heart, will affect the kind of things, the kinds of things you say and do. There's this Reciprocal relationship. So, getting back to some of that before we go into the meat of the topic tonight, uh, we, we covered that last week and we mentioned that the obligations in Sharia in the sacred law of Islam in, entail outward actions and inward actions. So, the commands of Allah, the commands of His Prophet pertain to the things we say and do with our body as well as actions of the heart. So there's actions of the heart. So when you you say trusting in Allah Ta'ala, that's not just a fuzzy feeling. It's considered an action of the heart from the a'mal of the heart. Likewise, there are prohibitions, things that are haram, that are haram for us to do with our body or to say with our tongue. And there are also things that are haram for our hearts to engage in. So actions of the heart may be obligations, things that we have to do or have to embody, or things that we're prohibited from having. And we'll cover all of these, inshallah, as we go through this module. And this is what we mentioned last week. Why the heart is so important is that as we said last week, it's the basis for what appears outwardly, right? Well, you do something, you do it for a reason. There has to be some kind of internal drive to get you to do what you're doing, right? There has to be an impetus, some internal thing that moves you. And the heart is the basis of everything that we say and do. Now, the Prophet alaihi wasallam gave us a very stark warning about the nature of the heart and how it affects what we do and what we become. In the very famous hadith, he said that when we commit a sin, a black mark is etched into the heart. Nuqtatun sauda, A black mark is etched into the heart. And that black mark, and this is not something you see under the microscope. We're talking about something in the ma'ani, in the spiritual realities. A black mark is etched into the heart and it will remain until a person seeks forgiveness. If that black mark grows in the heart through other things that we do that are bad, the heart will eventually become like an overturned vessel, he said. So think of something like a vessel that is overturned because of all the things that weigh it down it's basically a shipwreck it can not travel anymore that's the reality and then the prophet sallallahu went on to say that this is the meaning of the words of allah ta'ala in suratul mutaffifin uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in that chapter kalla ala qulubihim ma kanu yaksibun he says nay a ran a covering Has been placed over their hearts due to what they earned. So that verse clearly affirms that the things that we say and do, what we earn through our actions, leave an impact on the heart. So that Ran, he said, is the darkness that covers the heart and deadens the heart and makes them insensitive to what ultimately will destroy it. Now, here's the thing, because a lot of Muslims, you know, they go through so many issues, you know. Uh, People struggle with their faith, they struggle with their practice, and they often get beset with anxieties about their relationship with Allah. Now, i often encounter people like this. And they say that, you know, they feel like their iman has hit rock bottom, they feel so bad. They feel so distant and it really eats them up inside and they wonder, am I just lacking totally in Iman? What's going on here? And what I tell them each and every time is, yes, that's a problem. Yes, that's very common. But the fact that you feel the pain of that distance, the fact that you feel some hurt in your heart due to the distant relationship you have with Allah, that's a sign of life. It's a sign of life because if it was totally dead, your heart was totally dead, guess what? You wouldn't really feel anything. You wouldn't care. So indifference is one of the signs that the heart is either dead or it's on the verge of death. But feeling bad about things that you succumb to when you do those bad habits, feeling bad and feeling depressed and anxiety over them, that's a sign of health. Because a, if you kick a dead body, that dead body is not going to shout at you and say, hey, stop that. It's not going to feel pain. So if you still feel that, it means the heart is alive. But if a person keeps doing things over and over, the heart gets less sensitive to the point where they no longer care, or they grow indifferent to it. And that's a sign of the heart's death. So this is why we have to cover these things. And we talked about the reciprocal relationship between the outward and the inward. What that means, in a very short phrase, as we see on the slide, our inward states affect what we say and do, and what we say and do affect our inward states. There's a a give and take here. One affects the other. So if you want to affect what you're saying and doing positively, address the heart. If you want to be affected in your heart, then there's certain things you should say and do that will also leave an impact. It goes both ways. And that's mostly what we covered last week. Now we set out on the beginning of understanding the Fardain matters concerning... Ihsan. And the first farda'in thing in ihsan is tawbah. It is repentance. Repenting from sins. And that entails two important things. It entails knowing how to make tawbah. What are the conditions of tawbah? Which we've mentioned several times in khutbahs and in lessons. The second thing that tawbah in, re- entails is knowing what to make tawbah from. Because if you don't know the things that are haram, which require tawbah if you've done them, how can you make tawbah from them? You can only make tawbah from something that you know is haram, that you know is sinful. And this means that as we cover the Fardain concerning heart matters, we do have to talk about sin. What is sin? What is the nature of sin? What are the types of sin? And once we have a good understanding of that, we can address Tawbah in terms of how it's done and what are its conditions. Does that make sense? Because before you can talk about making Tawbah, you need to know what you're making Tawbah from, right? And we all know that Tawbah is from anything haram. But the question is, uh, what are the different things that are haram besides what we covered in Module 9? Meaning, what are the major sins and what are the minor sins? What is a major sin? What is a minor sin? What's the difference? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, insha'Allah ta'ala. So setting out. We know that there are sins which are inward. They're not things that we say. They're not things that we do with our limbs. But they are sins of the heart. Such as envy. Now can envy appear on the limbs? Well, the effects of it can, or the signs of it can. A person may backbite someone they envy. They may talk down about them. They may try to do something to undermine their life. That's the effect of something that they're harboring in their heart, the hasad. The envy, however, is a disease of the heart. It's a sin of the heart. It's in an inward sin, and it can sometimes manifest outwardly. Then we have outward haram things, outward sins, and those are obvious, you know, the common ones that we know, whether it's of the tongue or the eyes or the ears or the hands or the feet or the private parts or the stomach. Likewise, we know that there are sins that are between us and Allah Ta'ala. So, for example, is drinking alcohol a sin between us and allah meaning this is a violation of the haqq the right of allah who forbids drinking alcohol it is what about murder that's a sin too but th- right that's between the person and the rights of other people right so we understand that there's two broad categories of sins There are the sins that concern the hukuq of Allah, the rights of Allah. And then there are sins that concern the hukuq or the rights of other people. So when you commit a sin against someone by backbiting them, this is a sin between you and that person. Now it's a sin on the side of Allah too. But what we mean is there's a victim in that sin and that victim is another human being. Those sins, tend to be worse than the sins that are between the person and Allah, except for things like shirk, right? We should understand this because far too many people are very serious about avoiding the haram things that are between them and Allah, but they're very lackadaisical and carefree about the sins between them and other human beings. Cheating them, lying to them, defrauding them, all sorts of things like that. So we have to understand these broad categories. Okay, so now we are talking about major and minor sins. So, with a show of hands, how many of you have heard of the difference between major and minor sins? Okay, good number of hands. Uh, We know that there is a kind of sin called a kabira, or a major sin, an enormity. And there's another kind of sin called a saghira, or a minor sin. What we have to clarify, before we even go further, is that when you say major and minor, minor doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Because minor is only a relative comparison to something worse. So for example, if we say that a minor sin is an unrestrained glance. You know, a guy's checking out some girl in the shopping mall and he looks too long. He's staring at her. Minor sin. The reason why we say that's a minor sin because, is because it's minor in comparison to murder. It's minor in comparison to uh, zina or drinking alcohol. That doesn't mean that it's not a big deal or that it doesn't have an impact on the heart. It's important to understand this because some people hear minor and they think, oh, it's trifling, it's not, a, not, a, not an issue. No, it's only because it's compared to something far worse. So major and minor sins are mentioned in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. Uh, Allah Ta'ala mentions uh, in the Qur'an, وَالَّذِينَ يَجْتَنِبُونَ كَبَائِرَ الْإِثْمِ وَالْفَوَاحِشِ وَإِذَا مَا غَضِبُوهُمْ يَغْفِرُونَ He says, those who abstain from the major sins and immoralities, and when they are angry, they forgive. So here Allah is describing the believers as those who abstain from the kabair. So the fact that he mentions kabair, or major sins, implies that there are minor sins, right? And there's a few other verses that mention kabair. So here he distinguishes between major and minor sins. But what makes a sin major and what makes a sin minor? Now, it's not showing up on the slide. I didn't, don't know why. But the ulama spoke about this at great length. And they said, some of them said, that a kabira, a major sin, is any sin mentioned in the Quran or in the sunnah where there is also a divine threat of punishment mentioned along with it, or if there is a prescribed punishment, a had from the hudud mentioned in, in context with it, uh, or if there's other phrases that indicate curse, or earning the anger of Allah, and similar phrases. So for if you take an example, uh, the Prophet وسلم, talks about Al-Yameen Al-Ghamus. al yamin Al-Ghamus is basically, they call that the all engulf, engulfing oath. This is a major sin. The all engulfing oath is basically when you say, Wallahi, while telling a lie. That is a sin. And it's considered a Kabira, a major sin. Because the narrations describe it as ghamus, it engulfs the person who does it in the fire. So there's a wa'id, a divine threat mentioned uh, when that sin is described in Revelation. So if you see the sin mentioned in a verse of Quran or a hadith, and alongside of it, there's a mention of a Possible punishment in the hereafter, or it says uh, the curse of Allah is upon this person, or the anger of Allah is upon this person, or if there is a prescribed punishment for doing that thing, right? A had these are all indications that that sin is a kabira. On the other hand, if there is a sin mentioned in the Quran or the hadith but there's no mention of a divine threat, no mention of punishment, no, there's no actual prescribed punishment for it, there's no mention of a curse, there's no mention of that person earning the wrath of Allah, then that would be a minor sin and not a major sin. So this is the dominant view uh, of the majority of the ulama when they try to distinguish between what's a major sin and a minor sin. Now, some of the ulama and this is a minority view just for historical curiosity some of the ulama a uh, very few took a more strict scripturalist view such as imam tabari the great scholar of tafsir and history the great faqih and he said that a kabira a major sin is only what the prophet Explicitly described as a kabira. So, in, in, in you know, his line of argumentation, the, the divine threats or the prescribed punishment, like those things wouldn't necessarily indicate that it's a major sin. He says, no, wherever the Prophet says, this is a kabira and that is a kabira, those are the sins we take as a kabira or kabair. And he uses as the basis for this one hadith of the prophet وسلم, where he says mubiqat avoid the seven destructive sins And the companions asked ya rasul allah what are these seven destructive sins and he mentions sallallahu alaihi wasallam ashruku billah Wa Sihru, wa Katulun nafs allati haramallahu illa bilhaq wa akru riba wa aklu mal al-yatim wa tawali yawm al-zahf." وَقَذْفُ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ He mentions uh, associating partners with Allah, shirk, sorcery, murder of a soul that Allah has forbidden without right, consuming usury, consuming the wealth of an orphan, fleeing the battlefield, and accusing an innocent chaste woman of adultery. Calling her, you know, someone you know, this is called qadf, and there's a punishment for that. So this is Imam al-Tabari's view, but the ulama didn't really accept this. And there's a huge problem with this view, because if you say this is, these are the only major sins, well, what do you do with the other sins that have prescribed punishments, uh, that have other mentions of Allah, the threat of punishment, and so on? If you take this approach, it means that theft and bribery are not major sins, Even though, if you look at their harms, they can often be worse than some of the sins mentioned in that hadith. So that that hadith does mention major sins, but there are other sins not included in that hadith that actually have far greater harm on individuals and society that are also major sins, even if not mentioned in that hadith. So that's one approach, but it wasn't really accepted. We have another narration from Ibn Abbas who says that a major sin is any sin that Allah recompasses with hellfire, chastisement, curse, or punishment? So here you see that that view it was held in the earliest times by the Sahaba, chiefly Ibn Abbas. He looked at those sins that are mentioned alongside of these things as major sins. Why then? should we know the difference between major sins and minor sins. The ulama mentioned that there's a number of reasons. Uh, The main reason is because in the Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala gives us a promise to forgive our minor sins on the condition that we avoid the major sins. So you should know the major sins and try to avoid them as best as you can so that the minor sins that tend to accrue as we go through life are readily forgiven and wiped away on account of avoiding the major sins. And this is mentioned in the Qur'an where Allah says, إِنْ karima. Those who abstain from the major sins, they are forbidden from, we shall expiate their minor sins. And grant them a noble admittance to paradise. So, this is what we find uh, when, you, when you find the hadith that say, Whoever does this action, uh, their sins will be forgiven. It just says it like that. This is a big question the scholars had. You have hadith which, which, which say, Whoever says this dhikr, then their sins are forgiven. Whoever fasts like this, their sins are forgiven. Whoever does this, their sins are forgiven. The big question the scholars asked early on in Islamic history was, are these all sins, major and minor, or just minor sins? And to get those sins forgiven, is it a condition that we're staying away from the major sins? And that is a very strong viewpoint among scholars, that to have those sins forgiven There is a condition that has to be in place. You should be avoiding the major sins. And that's why tawbah is so important, because even if a person fell into major sins, once they make a genuine tawbah, it's as if they never did major sins. So they move forward that very moment after tawbah as if they have no major sins, and therefore they are open to receiving that forgiveness. That's one of the major reasons why we should know the major sins from the minor sins. Another reason, uh, which is less relevant here, but it can be in some circumstances. One reason is that the avoidance of major sins is a condition for accepting a person's witness testimony in court. If a person is known to engage in major sins, their shahada, their witness testimony in court is rejected. If they come forward having witnessed something, but they are known to do major sins, you know, they're public about it, their testimony is rejected. A person with minor sins, their testimony might be accepted or rejected depending on how they're doing those minor sins, how public they are, if it's being done in a shame, shameless way. But if a person does major sins openly, لا تُقْبَلُوا شَهَادَتُهُ yeah, their shahada is not accepted. There's other aspects as to like the imama, to be the imam leading salah. If you're an open fasiq who's doing major sins, you don't lead salah, right? And it's makuru and some of the madahib to pray behind such a person if they're known to do major sins. Uh, likewise, guardianship, uh, in a wilaya, right? It's possible that a fa- the father or the male relative can disqualify himself as the wali if he's doing certain major sins and those things are impacting his wilaya over his daughter or others. but that's not really uh, material to what we're talking about tonight. Now the question that comes up, like now that we know that there is a difference between major sins and minor sins, the question that comes up is how many are there? How many are there and how and what are they? And this is something that we find uh, we find an interesting development in Islamic history. The further along we travel in history, we find the more and more sins get added to these books on major sins. It's a very interesting development in Islamic history. Um, What you find is that very often certain actions that were considered minor sins in the earliest generations were later considered major sins by some scholars and added to these collections on major sins. This is, an, this is a phenomenon. Now we have a narration from Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, and he was asked if the kabair are seven, because of the hadith, ijtanibu sabal al-mubiqat, avoid the seven destructive sins. So he was asked, are the major sins, Limited to seven And it said yeah, This is a riwayah it's, it's an anomalous report It's not really uh, the soundest report Compared to the others But it said that he said That they are closer to 700 Than they are seven However he said There's no uh, major sin When a person seeks forgiveness When they repent and there's no minor sin when a person insists stubbornly on doing it. So this narration is called shadh meaning it goes against the sounder narrations that we have from Ibn Abbas. So we have other narrations, and their chains are far stronger than the chain of this narration. Therefore, we don't really accept it. It's there in the books, but we don't accept it. And we don't say that there are, in fact, 700 major sins. So we have this narration that's shav. We have another narration from Ibn Abbas when he was asked about the major sins, how many there are, and he said, 70. And that seems to be the sound dispute, that the total number of major sins are around 70, give or take. And there's some differences of opinion about 70, 76, a little more, a little less but it's around 70. Now, the question is, why didn't Ibn Abbas give an exact number? Some of the scholars say that this was uh, a kind of caution from Ibn Abbas uh, because he felt people were taking sins lightly. You know, those who accepted the narration of 700 said that he was trying to scare people, that he, he didn't mean actual 700. If you accept the narration, then it was kind of a... a, a, a A scare tactic because he felt people were taking sins lightly we don't need to take it that way because as we said the narration is shad. it's compared to the other sounded narrations Uh, so let's look at the historical developments of these major sin lists and then we actually look at a proper list of major sins when you go back in history like there are books that were written with the sole purpose of compiling the major sins described in the Quran and in the Hadith. One of the earliest works written in Islamic history on the major sins was by al Hafiz al bardiji who died 310 after Hijrah. And this is said to be the first book on the Kabair. In his book, he lists out 13, that's it, 13 major sins. Later, you come to al-Halfa al al-Maqdisi, who died 643 after Hijra, And he wrote uh, a mulhaq, you know, an addendum to the book of Bardiji, and he added more, making them 16 in total. <laughs> he added three, right? Nine years, After Bardiji, there comes Imam al-Tabari and he listed them at nine, right? So there's a connection between the first two here on the slide, but Tabari came after. Then comes Abu Talib al-Makki in the year 386, who listed 17 major sins, just 17. Then you have Abu Zakariya, Al-Nahas who wrote the famous book Tanbih al-Ghafirin, and he gathered the enumeration of the Shafi'i Imams, Imam al nawawi and Imam al-Rafi'i and Ibn Rif'ah, the, what they described as major sins in their works, and the total number he arrived at was 40. This is still relatively early in Islamic history. We come later to Imam al-Dhahabi, Imam al-Dhahabi, who is the author of Al-Kabair, which is the most famous book on the major sins, he arrived at 70 or 76, depending on the edition. Like, there's different versions. Now Ibn Nahas, who comes in 814, adds more. And he comes to 171. You see how it's getting bigger? As the years go by, the lists grow longer and longer. So he comes, he adds more. Now you have 117. Ibn Hajar al-Haytami al-Makki a shafii one of the great Shafi'i ulama of Mecca, he writes his famous az zawajir an Iqtiraf al-Kabair in two volumes. And he lists 466 major sins. Now we have to be fair to Imam Ibn Hajar. In his introduction, he said that the aim of his book was to list, to compile anything and everything any imam ever said is a major sin, even if there's a difference of opinion, even if it's not really the accepted view, just if it was ever said. Why? So that a person can avoid those sins out of an abundance of caution because even though they're probably not major sins, some imams were of the view they are major sins. So out of are out of an abundance of caution, you would want to avoid those just in case they were right. That was his objective in the book. That's why you have 466. And inshallah, after this class, I'm going to send in the group the summary of Ibn Hajar al-Haythami's Zawajir, Uh, it's two volumes but there's a summary where it's just the sins are listed out by name and it's i'll send it to you inshallah uh, after this class coming uh in 970 which is this is he died 970 uh ibn nujaim al-hanafi a great hanafi scholar who was a contemporary of haytami he wrote a major a book on major sins and he listed 89 so still more than Ibn, uh, uh, Imam al dhahabi So, what's going on here? Uh, why is there this gradual increase in the major sins in the, these works by scholars? Is it because people became more knowledgeable over time? That can't be the case. Is it because people became more religious and more pious than those before them? That's definitely not the case. So something else is going on. The people before them were more knowledgeable and more pious, yet we find numbers like 13 and 9 and 17, right? So what do we do with all of this? Well, the standard view is that the major sins are around 70. That is the opinion of the overwhelming majority of ulama and the best book on the major sins describing these 70 is the book by Imam al-Zahabi known as Al-Kabair. And it's one of those books, you know, if you go anywhere in the Muslim world, at least in the Arab world, uh, when you go in any city, you'll find some little small bookstall next to the masjid after Jumrah. They're not selling really advanced books that only scholars read. They sell the kind of bestsellers in the Islamic world. Riyad al salihin right? Hayat al-Sahaba, Tafsir ibn Kathir, and Kabair. Al-Kabair is found in all of those little book, sh- book stalls. So it is a book that many people have. It's been translated in multiple languages. It is a book worth getting because he doesn't just list out the sins like we're going to do tonight. He lists them one by one and provides... The verses of Quran that describe them as major sins, the Hadith that describe them as major sins, he establishes from the revelation that these are in fact major sins, and knowing that list is very important because to make Toba, you make Toba for major sins and minor sins, but major sins take priority; they're more important because they're deadlier, and knowing them. As they say, knowing is half the battle, right? If you know them, uh, you're able to be aware that they are major sins and take proactive steps to avoid them so it doesn't happen. Now, another benefit of uh, listing out the major sins and knowing them is that as you go through those lists, you will very quickly see in that list sins that are so far removed from your personal lived experience, so far removed from what seems like possibility for you in your life. And then you're going to see sins that hit very close to home, that you feel, maybe I'm falling into that, or I have fallen into that. So you quickly see which ones are kind of remote, and the ones that are close to home. So with that in mind, what we wanted to do for the rest of the class, uh, hopefully we can go through the list, is just go through the list of the 70, without too much commentary. Um, it does, it, uh, commentary is helpful, right? So we can define well, what exactly is the nature of that sin, and what does it look like, but most of them are, uh, are pretty clear on their own. So let's go through this list. Maybe we can make an exercise out of this. Maybe if I read a a sin on this list, if you feel it is common, widespread, something that is very easy for people to fall into, you can just yell out common if it seems uncommon and remote and unlikely you can just keep quiet and, and, and i mean among muslims here because right? number 1 is very common but we're not talking about we're talking about muslims here associating anything with allah ashirk billah any worshipping other than allah right no murder depends on where you are right some parts of the world that's super common But I don't think there's any murders going on in the community. So we don't need to say common for this. Alhamdulillah. Uh, Practicing magic. Depends on where you are. Right? Jadu. Right? Not praying. Common. Not paying zakat. Common. Not fasting on a day of Ramadan without excuse. Common. Maybe not. I guess it depends on who we, who we keep company with. Yeah, Not performing hajj while being able to do so. That's common. Disrespect to parents. Abandoning relatives. That's qatr uh, al-arham, you know, the severing of family ties. Fornication and adultery. Homosexuality. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's common as, the, not the practice, but being apologist for that and, that and, and the alphabet people, that does exist. Uh, interest, common. Wrongfully consuming the property of an orphan. So, you know, you, you have an orphan you take care of, you received a certain amount of money that came from the parents of that orphan child, you consume it unlawfully. Well, the question is, I mean, there are very unethical organizations that collect money for orphans that squander it and use it for waste. That's possible. Yeah. Well, what you see here is like, what's the difference? Like, he mentioned theft in the next slide. What's the difference between theft and wrongly consuming the wealth of an orphan? They're both theft. The reason why they're separate is because both are theft, but to steal from a baby, the defenseless child who's very vulnerable, it, it's worse than an adult stealing from an adult. right? Uh, number 14: lying about Allah and his messenger. That's common. People speaking about the deen, making TikTok videos, giving fatwas left and right. Oh my God, go online. It's so common. So that, that is common, unfortunately. Running away from the battlefield. No. A leader deceiving his people and being unjust to them. Pride and arrogance. Common. Now that, that's an inward action. Of the heart, but it manifests in the way a person walks, talks, and uh, carries himself. Uh, bearing fa- false witness, drinking alcohol, yeah, gambling. I mean, I have had Muslims come to me asking about the lottery. You know, how do they stop it? And I tell them, stop it. That's all there is. Just stop it. There's a lot of Muslims who, who, are, who are annoying people by having them wait behind them as they scratch off tickets. You know when you go to the gas station and you're just getting annoyed because this person just, just has 25 tickets they're scratching off, wasting everyone's time? There's some Muslims that do this. It exists. Slandering, chaste women. I don't I don't know. What this means is accusing a uh, chaste woman of adultery. Yeah. Stealing from the spoils of war. Stealing. Yeah. Highway robbery. What is highway robbery? It's actually a broad category. Hiraba um, is a broad category. Uh, a highway robber would be someone in the olden days who would descend on your caravan and seize all your wealth at the threat of death. But Hiraba extends to other things. Uh, some countries apply the rules of Hiraba to drug traffickers because of all of the gang violence that ensues. Uh, terrorism is a kind of Hiraba, right? Where people are frightened and it uh, ruins the safety, stability, and economic uh, strength of a society. That's highway robbery. Uh, taking a false oath. This is saying wallahi while telling a lie. Would you say common? Yeah, it happens. Oppression. Yeah. Illegal gain. Uh, illegal gain, this, you, know, you basically, I mean, the next one is consuming wealth acquired unlawfully. That applies to so many things. But illegal gain would mean haram earnings. You know, gaining it through uh, deceit as well. Committing suicide. Not, I wouldn't say it's that common. Uh, frequent lying. Common. Judging unjustly. Uh, this would apply to a qadi but it can also apply to parents can apply to anyone who has a position of authority and they judge unjustly because they have a bias towards one side over the other for whatever reason. Uh, giving and accepting bribes. Maybe not so much here, but over, but over there they call it haja. They call it hadiyah. They call it all sorts of names. Um, women imitating men And men imitating women I mean among Muslims I don't think it's that common It's becoming more uh, Being a Cuck A cuckold A dayuth. You can't say common Until you ask what that means The Prophet wasallam says A dayyouth La yadkhulul jadna What is a Basically, a dayuth is a man who does not have any sense of ghayrah for his womenfolk. So, if a guy approaches someone's wife and is chatting up with her, trying to put his arm around her and, you know, just be all whatever in, in that kind of way, and he doesn't have any feeling towards that and say, get your hands off of him or, you know, physically accost him and remove him, if he's just okay with his uh, womenfolk being in that manner with other men, this is uh, the youth. That's a major sin. Number 35, marrying a divorced woman to make her lawful for the husband. I think we spoke about this, that when the divorce is irrevocable, the only way she can get remarried to the previous husband is if she marries someone else, consummates the marriage, gets divorced, goes through the idda, and then remarries her old husband. If someone marries her just to consummate it so that he can divorce her to make her halal once again for her previous husband, then this is a major sin. Al-muhallil wal-muhallil lahu. Number 36, not protecting oneself from urine and being careless in bathroom etiquette where a person gets urine on them out of carelessness. Showing off, That, that that's all too common, Allah yasturna. Learning knowledge of the religion for the sake of this world and concealing that knowledge. Yes, it's common, it's common. Um, when a person is seeking the sacred knowledge of Islam Aqeedatan wa fiqhan All of the ulum, the sciences But the purpose of it is to just Become more upwardly mobile in the world Perhaps this makes less sense now Because in this day and age Prestige is not as attached to religious learning As it once was But hundreds of years ago Ulama were the equivalent of sports stars you know athletes and celebrities and to get uh, a position you know if you went to a madrasa and you went through the ranks of study you would get a very uh uh, high stipend from the government as a qadi or filling some other some other function within the government so it was a very prestigious position uh before modernity And probably less so now, but seeking religious knowledge just for the sake of dunya, right? I I learned this just so I can make money from it. And not learning it to practice it first and foremost, and then benefit others with it. And because it's tied to uh, money, I give it to the people who pay me, and I keep it away from people who don't pay me. right? That's what it's talking about. It, yeah, it is coming back. And there are some details here. Is it permissible for a scholar to charge money? Yes, there are some stipulations to that. And there are some guidelines. Maybe we can explore it. Yeah, that's the new commodity, for sure. Because we're now we have the, 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 the attention economy. Number 39 is betrayal of trust. And khiyana. Um Recounting favors. You remember I gave you that money the other day and here you are, you're not doing whatever. This, al-man wal-adha, it's a major sin. Denying Allah's decree. Listening to people's private conversations. Namima. Gossip. Um, Cursing. What do we mean by cursing here? cursing here isn't what you think it is in english when you hear cursing you're thinking of curse words cursing here is telling someone la'natullah alayk may allah curse you that is a curse what does that mean the la'na is ib'ad wa tard it is you're asking allah to make that person distant and remote, and removed from the rahmah of Allah. Imagine, you say, may Allah curse you. You're literally saying, may Allah eject you from his mercy, right? Is it permissible to curse people? There are situations where it could be permissible. And there's a very detailed debate among scholars about the uh, specific curse to a specific person versus a general curse. To a non-specific person, you know, La'natullahi Ala Wadi may Allah curse the wrongdoers is different from saying La'natullahi ala fulan. So there's some details here. But generally a person should try to avoid this. Uh, number forty five, breaking contracts. Number forty six, believing in fortune tellers and astrologers. We should probably revisit that one you know, the horoscopes and all that stuff. Uh, 47, a woman's bad conduct towards her husband, nushuz. So I refer you to that module when we talked about nushuz, what it is, its definition, uh, what it is not. Um, it's not. It's not just you know waking up and being in a bad mood, it's more than that. Uh, number 48, making statues and pictures. Now here there's some difference of opinion about uh, whether that applies to uh, three-dimensional images as well as two-dimensional images or only three, right? But there's agreement that three-dimensional images are included in the hadith where the Prophet says that cursed are the image makers. That's... A general agreement that it applies to three-dimensional images, meaning statues. Uh, There's a difference of opinion about two-dimensional images, like portraits or drawings, right? Um, Number 49, lamenting, wailing, tearing the clothing, and doing other things of this sort when an affliction befalls, right? Niaha. Treating others unjustly. Overbearing conduct toward the wife, the servant, the weak, and animals. Just think of abusive behavior. Common? It's common. It's common. Uh, 52. Offending one's neighbor. Now, I took this list from uh, the common translation of the Kaba'ir in English. I, I don't think that's the best translation necessarily. Because offending one's neighbor doesn't just mean what we typically think of offending. You know, here, it means you're, you're harming them. You're doing something that causes them actual harm. Not just offending them because you have a different political opinion. That's not what offense here means. It means actual harm. Same thing for number 53. Offending and abusing Muslims. Right? It Offending people and having an arrogant attitude towards them. And I think from this list also you see why some lists are shorter. Because some would... You see how you could say offending one's neighbor, offending and abusing Muslims, offending people and having an arrogant attitude towards them. You could group all of those into one, couldn't you? All right. 55. Trailing one's garments in pride. Uh, this is for men in particular, not for women. Uh, although if women did it out of pride, the pride would be haram, not the trailing of the garment. Uh, for men, trailing the garment out of arrogance is haram, it's a major sin. If it's not out of arrogance, then it's, it's not haram, right? And there's a lot of back and forth about that, right? What we call isbal, man khuyala, right? So some of these require a little more detail. Men wearing silk and gold. It's a major sin. Common or uncommon? I don't see it that much. A slave running away from his master. Not common. Slaughtering an animal which has been dedicated to anyone other than Allah. Not really that common. And in places where things like that may happen, it's... Not always so clear that it is falling in this category. Because sometimes the intention is, you know, they they may sacrifice an animal for the sake of Allah, but when they say for so-and-so, they mean that we give the ajr to so-and-so. So So that's a little, that requires a little more research. Uh, 59, to knowingly ascribe one's paternity to a father other than one's own. I am so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and it's not your father. That's a major sin. To do that is a major sin. It causes lineages to get mixed up, which uh, violates one of the major objectives of Sharia, which is hiflun Nasr, the preservation of family ties and lineage. Uh, Sixty, arguing and disputing violently with. You say that's common. It's a matter of language, isn't it? Violently here doesn't necessarily mean they're throwing chairs. It just means there's insolence and rudeness, maybe vulgarity in the argument, as opposed to an argument or a a gentle, if you will, back and forth where tensions may rise, but it's not using vulgarity and rudeness. Uh, Withholding excess water. Like this would apply in places where you have water on various properties and people channel it in a way to keep it from others and they don't allow it to flow freely. Giving short weight or measure. للمطففين, right? Uh, I was in one country and it was before Eid and I saw that one particular spot was giving the goats pepsi in large quantities to make them fatter and i wondered wow you know trying to get a fetch a higher price but they're not actually toying with the weights and measures they're just fattening up the animal beforehand Um, but in georgia where i'm from there's a story from the south about a shop that sold chickens and the chickens are inside of an ice box and these are from the farms they're not wrapped up and the person would take the chicken, or they would reach inside of the ice box looking for the chicken, and they would dig their arm deep into the ice box, act like they're moving around looking for this chicken and that chicken. They pull one out, put it on the scale. It weighs X amount of pounds. They want a heavier one. They go in. The whole time they're putting ice cubes inside of the chicken as they go through it to make it way heavier. It's it's supposed to be a funny story, but it's a reality. People cheat in these weights and measures just to get an extra 25 cents. It happens. And some of the righteous people, subhanAllah, uh, they weigh items separately without using the bag that holds it. Because even though it's so light, they don't want the risk of even that much difference being ill-gotten gains, they, should, they only want to weigh the exact quantity of what's being sold, not the weight of the container in which it is sold. That's serious warah. Um, feeling secure from Allah's plan. Al-aman min makri Basically feeling that, oh, I'm all good. I'm going to Jannah, guaranteed. Nothing bad will happen to me. Allah is happy with me. He's pleased with me. I'm good. Nothing can harm me. That is aman, that's a major sin. Number sixty-four, offending Allah's righteous friends. All right, so this is again أذى. من أذى لي ولياً The Hadith Qudsi says, whoever takes or من Adali لي ولياً بالحرب. Whoever takes a friend of mine in enmity, I declare war on him. So that person who is a pious individual attacking them denigrating them just because of their piety and goodness, because a person feels some way about them, this is a major sin. Not praying in congregation, but praying alone without an excuse. Um, Well, there's a difference of opinion about that. Uh, The vast majority of the ulama say that praying in jama'ah is mustahab for men, not wajib. Uh, persistently missing Friday prayers without an excuse, missing three or more without an excuse. The hadith says that person's heart is sealed, indicating that it's a major sin. And 77 or 67, usurping the rights of the heir through, be, through bequest, which is basically cheating people when someone has died, cheating the heirs out of their uh, rightful inheritance. Common or uncommon? Yeah. Uh, it can be with money. It can be with land. Right? How many land disputes between this and that family have been going on for years to the point of bloodshed? This one's trying to cheat that one. This is very ugly stuff. Number 68, deceiving and plotting evil. Uh, plotting evil against people. Number 69, spying for the enemy of the Muslims, at tajassus. 70, cursing or insulting any of the companions of Allah's Messenger wasallam). Uh, that's the major sin. So as you can see from this list, we can probably group some of them together into one. And depending on how you describe them, you could even expand, expand one into two, depending on how you look at it. And this gives you an idea as to why there are some variations in the numbers. How many, how many would you say are common? What, 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 would be the percentage? About half, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe an even half, maybe a little bit more. So some of these are very common. Others are less common either because they're so ghastly that we wouldn't even think about them or they are in context and situations that don't really apply to us. Fleeing from the battlefield, stealing the spoils of war, uh, stealing from the wealth of an orphan. We're just not put in those positions where we could do those things. But half of them are readily available for us to fall into anytime, any given day of the week. So just knowing these is important because it, it keeps us aware. And once you know these, you can avoid them and you can make tawbah from them. But without knowing them, how do you know to make tawbah from them? So this, inshallah, ends uh, part two of our session in module 10 on matters of the heart. Next week, inshallah, and the week or two after, we'll look at the inward sins in particular. What are these inward sins? How do they manifest? How do they arise? How to treat them and remove them? And then we look at the inward virtues, those things that are obligatory, the inward actions of the heart, what they are and how do we cultivate them. And that will inshallah cover what is Fardu'ain concerning matters of the heart. Wallahu <laughs> wa rasuluhu A'lam wa Wasallam, Ala Muhammad wa Ala Alihi wa Sahbihi Wasallam. Uh, The first few, the first few were in order of severity, because if you go back to the beginning of those, the first, well, not all of them, but like shirk, murder, magic, right? Those are mentioned in that hadith about the seven destructive sins. Uh, Others here are, some are more severe than others, but they're all major sins.